0: Greetings, brethren. It's a privilege to be here with you on a really a beautiful Sabbath. It was exciting to uh, participate in the public lectures down in Atlanta the last two weeks, the last two weekends. You know, the first Sabbath I was fighting a cold. I didn't speak down there, but I did give the public lecture. Uh, the second week I was still fighting a cold, but I did wake up on the last uh, Sabbath uh, feeling much better. and was able to give not only the sermon, but the public lecture. So it was really exciting exciting to see how Mr. Lowe had actually prepared the congregation that he had been working especially with this men in spokesman's club and leadership classes uh, in role playing. He was asking them questions. Well I've heard the Sabbath's been done away with. Isn't that true? And he was having these people respond so they'd be able to answer questions of people coming in for the public lectures. Uh, You know the attendance there in Atlanta is 65, 75, something like that and when you have almost 70 people show up for the the public lecture—the the size of the audience literally doubled on that first Sabbath, and that was really exciting. And the people in Atlanta were excited. They said, Look, they're really coming. <laughs> One lady was saying, "You know, she said, I was so excited last night I couldn't even sleep." So it was—I think it was a benefit not only for the people that came to hear the lecture, but for the congregation to be able to work together to prepare for that. So it was really exciting. <clears throat> I'd like to introduce the sermon today with a little story that will connect with the sermon, as you will see. He was an atheist. He was walking through the woods. And he was just looking at the beautiful scenery. He said, wow, look at those majestic mountains up there. And look at those uh, those tall, soaring trees and the beautiful flowers. And just, it's just an incredible environment. It's, it's amazing how it all just evolved, really out of nothing. While he's thinking about these things, he heard a rustling in the bushes and turned around. Here's a big grizzly bear. Ah! started to run down the path. So he starts running all he can and tripped over a, 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 a root. And he turns around to get up and the grizzly bear is right on top of him, putting a paw on his chest and takes his big right paw just ready to smack this atheist. And the atheist is kind of under his breath. He says, God, help me! And all of a sudden, there was quiet. The bear was frozen, kind of in midair. It was quiet and the light came on. And the atheist heard this voice. He said, you expect me to save you after you have denied me for years and you've been telling people for years that I don't exist and you expect me to save you? And the atheist realized something had happened. The bear had stopped frozen in midair. And he began to think more rationally. He said, well, you know, it, it, I'm probably being a hypocrite to ask you to save me whenever I've denied you all these years. So, you, know, you, you probably can't make me a believer in this last couple of minutes. But he said, "But, but maybe you can change the nature of that bear. <laughs> and the voice said, so be it. The light disappeared. The noises in the forest came back on. And the bear took his paw slowly out of the air put it across his chest, he bowed his head, and he growled very quietly, said, thank you for the meal that you provided for me today. (laughs) And the bear proceeded to enjoy his lunch. (laughs) Now, as you contemplate, how could this possibly relate to the sermon? Let me provide just a little bit of perspective. This atheist had come to a point in his life where he realized he was in a very serious situation. That his future was on the line, his life was at stake, and he was in a situation he hadn't wanted to get into. He hadn't volunteered for this. Uh, he hadn't asked to be in this situation. You know Whether you realize it or not, you and I are also in a very serious situation. Our life is on the line. Our future is at stake. And we didn't ask to be where we are today. You've been called. You've been called out of this world. And I'd like you to think about some things, just as this atheist has things going through his mind and as you would have things going through your mind. I remember one time I <clears throat> was able to fly out to Santa, Can- Santa Catalina Island with another fellow who was giving a lecture at the Marine Station out there. And we were told as we landed, and you know, we actually landed in the water, the plane came up out of the water at the airstrip, and uh, the uh, pilot said, you know, there's there's a, a herd of uh, buffalo on the island out here. They were brought out, I think, in the 20s or 30s to shoot a movie, 40s or something like that. And they, they couldn't catch them, so they just left them there. So these buffalo roam over the island. And uh, he said, you might, you might look, you might be able to get some pictures. So I had a 35-millimeter camera without a telephoto lens. And we gave the lecture, walked around a little bit, and we were waiting for the plane to come back. And I saw these buffalo coming up out of the water, right up by the airstrip. And I thought, I'm going to get some pictures. And the guy told me, yeah, they're basically tame. <laughs> <laughs> So with my little 35 millimeter camera without any telephoto lens, I started walking up to one of these big buffaloes and to take a picture because I wanted to get a close up. And as I was ready to snap the picture, this big bull started (coughs) snorting like that and started to charge. So I'm standing there with this little camera and he's probably about to where Mr. Crockett is. And I'm thinking, you know, I just got married. I've got a wife at home. I've got a baby. I don't want to go yet. <laughs> what would you do? My uncle had a dairy farm when I was growing up, and we used to spook the cows. So the only thing I knew I could do was go, ah! <laughs> And he stopped in his train. He was coming at me, and he stopped. He put on his brakes, and he and he started charging again. And I went, Ugh! Like that, and he stopped. And by that time, I was gone. <laughs> You know, you th- have to think on your feet sometimes. <laughs> and that was not the way I wanted to go. <laughs> to be stomped to the, you know, by a big buffalo like that. <clears throat> but as I mentioned, you and I are in a very serious situation. Our life is on the line, I think, in a way that we may not realize. Our future is on the line. Have you ever looked into a mirror and asked yourself the question, Why are you in this church at this time? Have you ever done that? I'd encourage you to do that. And then answer the question. Find the answers to the question. Honestly ask yourself, Why am I here in this church at this time? Did God call me here? Did God put me here? Is God calling me? Are you just here by accident? Because your mom and dad were in the church and now you are. How would you know if God is calling you? How would you know? What does it mean to be called? What does it actually mean to be called by God? What happens when God calls you? How would you know that God is calling you? How does a calling work? Why is God calling you today? I'd like you to think about those things as we go through the sermon. I want to talk about a calling today in the sermon. I want to talk about it for a number of reasons. Number one, the subject of a calling is an important biblical concept. It's an important biblical idea because it reveals how God operates. When you understand the examples of callings given in the Bible, you can begin to understand how God operates. And the examples given in the Scripture are very different from the way the world thinks that God operates. You know, in many Protestant churches today, Towards the end of the sermon, they start playing soft organ music. And the preacher might say, you know, if you're a sinner, and if you've done bad things, God can forgive you. And the music gets a little bit louder. They come down front you know, and give your heart to the Lord. And it becomes a very emotional appeal. The examples we'll look at very briefly here. The Bible gives some very different examples. Some very different examples. If you read through Acts chapter 8, 9 and 10, in Acts chapter 8, this Ethiopian eunuch was actually reading the scriptures. He kind of rode by uh, Philip. And Philip didn't say, have you given your heart to the Lord? There was no organ music. Philip said, do you understand what you're reading? Do you understand what you're reading? He said, how can I unless somebody explains? Come on up here and explain this to me. He was dealing with his mind, not his emotions. In Acts chapter 9, Paul was headed off to Damascus to, to persecute the church. And what happened? All of a sudden, there was this bright light and a voice came out of the sky. You know, I had a fellow that married my cousin. He was a deputy sheriff in Pennsylvania. And they used to play little games. He said they were patrolling one of the interstate highways one night by plane. Or somebody else was. And they spotted this car doing 80, 90, 100 miles an hour. And they swooped down with the helicopter right over top of the car and they turned on this big spotlight. (laughs) Middle of the night. And they announced through a loudspeaker, Slow down! (laughs) And then they set a roadblock up about 20 miles down the road. They picked off this car... Said, you understand you were speeding. He said, yeah, but a voice came out of the <laughs> sky <laughs> and told me to slow down. <laughs> you know, Paul was heading off to Damascus. This voice comes out of the sky Saul, why are you persecuting me? And blinded Saul and left him alone for three days. No organ music. He had time to think, to think over what am I doing? Where am I going? What's happening in my life? This was how God called Paul. A very dramatic type of thing. Cornelius in Acts chapter 10 was praying. And he was told, go see a man in a certain place. God was calling Cornelius. John chapter 1. Andrew happened to run into Jesus Christ. Spent the day with him. Then he goes back home and said, Peter, we've found the Christ. We've found the Messiah, the one the prophets have talked about. And then Peter goes and talks with Jesus Christ. Again, no organ music, no emotional pull. God was reaching their minds. Reaching their minds. That's how God has called people, sometimes very dramatically. In the case of Andrew and uh, and Peter, Said, you want to come along? We found the Christ. God was calling these people. The concept of being called and a calling from God is a very important biblical subject that we need to understand. It's also a very personal subject, it's between you and God, where God reaches into your mind and does some things that we'll talk about in the sermon. And we need to understand how God does these things and what happens in our life and understand and recognize when it's beginning to happen in our life. You know, we've got some new people here, and we'll have new people that will be listening to the sermon as it's sent out different places. And as a new person being called into the church of God, you need to understand what has happened in your life and how God is going to work with you and how He's worked with others. You know, we may also have some older people in the congregation that may never have really confronted the issue. Did God call you? Are you being called by God? How would you know? How would you know? Are you convicted that you have been? We may have some younger people too in congregations that may hear this sermon that have grown up in the church. And they especially need to think very seriously about this subject of a calling. Because if you've grown up with the truth, it's kind of easy to let go of it. Well, I, you know, I've always heard that, nothing new in that. You know, your challenge is going to be what are you going to do with the calling that you have? What are you going to do with the understanding that God has given you? Let me share just a few personal comments here quickly. You know, I came into the church because I came in contact with my brother. He had been attending the church for a year or more. I came home for a summer vacation from graduate school. He challenged what I was doing, kind of made fun of what I was doing. He was my younger brother, and he got my attention. Gave me a couple of booklets to read. American Britain and Prophecy, a booklet we were publishing at that time, 1975, in Prophecy. Uh, It made sense. It got my attention. God has different ways of getting people's attention. You know, it caused the bush to begin burning, and Moses was curious, wanted to know what was going on. He got Moses' attention and began talking with Moses directly. You know, after that, I read everything I could get my hands on, listened to the radio programs, uh, began attending church, I think in August or September, went to the feast. And about December, I hopped a bus. I was in, Ma- in um, Jackson, Mississippi at the time, rode out to California to check out the college. Is it for real? <laughs> Is there anything there? Uh, is this a fly by night organization, or is there something there? I was able to attend some classes. Uh, talked with uh, Dr. Hay and I believe Dr. Meredith at that time. Uh, about three years later, I actually applied to Ambassador College, went out there, began setting in, uh, setting classes. and I began to see at that point in time that because I was hearing this in class that God calls people. God calls people. And I began to ask myself, how do I know if I've been called? How do I know God called me? You know, I'd heard this in sermons, I'd read the scriptures, but you know, nobody had ever explained <laughs> what it means to be called, what was involved in calling. And it took me, I think, a couple of years to put all the pieces together to the point where it, it made sense. What I'd like to do in the sermon today is talk about what is a calling? What does it mean to be called? How can you know if God is calling you? And I also want to cover seven reasons why God calls people today. I've talked with people over the years, and in visiting with new people, uh, oftentimes the question, well, why did God call me? And sometimes we struggle, and I think sometimes we waste a lot of time trying to figure out, well, why did God call me? I think in time it will become obvious why God calls us. I'm going to give you some general reasons today. I can't give you very specifics in, in particular cases. But God has a plan, and he's calling people to be part of that plan. And we need to trust God that he knows what he's doing. In. If you're looking for a title, I've entitled the sermon, Seven Reasons for Your Calling. Seven Reasons for Your Calling. We'll go through the sermon. and I have one other question I want to ask as we get close to the end of the sermon. Let's deal with the first question. What is a calling? What does it mean to be called? Turn to John chapter 6. There's some basic scriptures that we just need to talk about and think about. In John chapter 6, Jesus Christ was discussing some things, spiritual topics. He had a Jewish audience that was listening in verse 41 of chapter 6. as says, the Jews murmured because He had said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, what's He talking about? That's Jesus. He just lives up the street. And He's claiming to be something that came down from heaven. What, what's going on here? They didn't understand. But Jesus saw them discussing. You know, I see this when I'm giving a sermon up here. Some people are sleeping, and some people are talking, and some people are taking notes. <laughs> some people are listening. You know, as a teacher in classes, I would notice the same thing. Now, if you were up here, you'd notice the same thing. But most everybody's listening now that I've mentioned that. <laughs> <laughs> but Jesus noticed that they were murmuring. And he said, don't murmur among yourselves. And he makes a statement in verse 44. No one, you know, no man, no woman can come to me unless the Father who has sent me draws that person. You just don't decide on your part. Well, I'm going to give my heart to the Lord. Jesus said, no, you can't come to me unless God calls you. What does it mean to be called? Unless God intervenes in your life and opens your mind. Then he gets very spiritual. He talks about, unless you eat my flesh, drink my blood, you have no life in you. He gets very spiritual. Verse 60, Therefore many of his disciples, when they heard these spiritual concepts... They said, this is a hard saying. I don't know what he's talking about. Who can understand what he's talking about? When Jesus knew in himself, his disciples murmured. They were questioning. He said, does this this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? What if you see me go right back up into heaven? He said, that's going to blow your mind. Because that's going to be even more striking than what I said before. Verse 63, it is the Spirit that gives life, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you, what I've been talking about, are spirit and their life, their spiritual concepts. And basically he says, you know, unless you have God's Spirit, unless you're being called, you're not going to understand what I'm talking about. Verse 65, he said, therefore, or this is why I said unto you earlier, Therefore I have said unto you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him or to her by my Father. And from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. This is all Greek to me. I've got fishing to do tomorrow. I've got a job to do. I I, I don't understand what this is all about. A calling involves being able to understand the plan of God to understand what God is doing, to understand the purpose of human life. And many of you probably tried to convert your friends or your relatives or your neighbors or whatever, family members. doesn't work, does it? They just look at you, scratch their head, and what planet are you on? They literally don't understand. And this should be a proof to you if you do understand, if it does make sense to you, you didn't arrive at that conclusion on your own. God has opened your mind to begin to understand. You know, my dad was a deacon and an elder, and my mom was a Sunday school teacher, and I tried to explain certain things to them, and they just shook their heads. Called another Protestant minister to come (laughs) straighten me out. But he didn't understand either. (laughs) You know, to have your mind open to understand the truth of God is a miracle. It's a gift, if it makes sense, don't take that lightly. Don't take that lightly. Matthew thirteen. <clears throat> Jesus was talking with his disciples, in fact they were asking him questions. Matthew thirteen beginning in verse ten. Uh, another insight into what a calling is all about. It says the disciples came to him and said to him, Why do you speak to these people in parables? He answered and said, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, to understand the plan of God, to understand that Jesus Christ is going to return and set up a government on this earth. God has given you the capacity to understand that. He says, But to them, those people that are around here, actually listening and watching Christ, It has not been given to them to understand. It's not been given to them. If it's been given to you, you've been put in a situation that you didn't ask to be in, necessarily. God has opened your mind to understand something the world doesn't understand. And that should never be taken lightly. He's given you the capacity to understand the truth. To understand what the Bible says. I remember taking a Bible class in the college that I went to. And uh, the Bible didn't make any more sense after I took the class than it did (laughs) before I began the class. I could read Proverbs and that was kind of understandable. But the rest was kind of a mystery. But once I came in contact with the church of God, things began to make sense. The pieces came together. Because God was opening my mind at that time. And this is how you can know that God is beginning to work with you. John chapter 8 and verse 32. Another insight just to show how God works, how God's Spirit works. <clears throat> now God will lead you by His Spirit until you are baptized and given God's Spirit, and then you've got to nourish God's Spirit after that. But God will lead you, He'll bring you in contact with His truth. In John chapter 8 and verse 32, again, Jesus is talking with a Jewish audience. He said, You shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. The truth will set you free. A number of different translations mention that you will know the truth, or you will find the truth, or you will come to understand the truth, or you will come to have knowledge of the truth. Knowledge of the plan of God, the purpose of God, the identity of of uh, nations in prophecy, the truth about many things. It will set you free from the lies and the deception that permeate this world. And there are many preachers and teachers today that claim to be ministers of God. But as you listen to them, they don't see the big picture. Well, they love Jesus. They love God. They try to be nice people, but they don't understand prophecy. They don't understand the real purpose of life. They tell people, you'll go to heaven, sit on a cloud. The Pope was telling people recently, you'll go to heaven and behold the beatific vision. You can just sit there in awe and look at God. That's not what the Bible's all about. The Bible has a very different message. Christ is coming back to this earth to set up a government on this earth that we can participate in and straighten out the problems. Not sit around playing harps or banjos or whatever. (laughs) On a cloud. It's very different concepts. Different gospel. Let's go to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul is talking with the church in Corinth. Again, these were people living in a very bustling city, probably very prosperous people. Verse 26, he says, For you see your calling, or consider your calling, brethren. Not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has called the foolish things of this world to put to shame the wise. And God is not calling the high rollers today, the movers and shakers for the most part. He's calling simple people, humble people, people dumb enough to believe what they read in the Bible <laughs> and not come up with a lot of theories. and ideas. Well, I know what it says, but really here's what I think it means. You know, God's not going to be able to work with us if that's how our mind works. I remember when I was first learning about the truth. I was in graduate school. And I remember sitting down with one of my professors one afternoon, and we were theorizing about the Bible. And I walked out of the office thinking, well, that was a very intellectual discussion. I started walking 100 yards over to my dorm where I was, and I started coughing and getting a sore throat, and I spent the next two or three days in bed. There was no reason to come down with something like that. and then God was telling me, you don't need any more intellectual discussions right now. <laughs> you need to focus on some basic truth. And I didn't go back and discuss religion with him anymore. And God had sent me a message, or at least that's how I took it. Uh, he, was a very, he was an interesting professor, a lot of interesting stories and so on, but he didn't understand the truth of God. And God was telling me I didn't need to spend a lot of time in that particular environment, especially whenever He was calling me out of that environment. But Paul says, You see your calling, I would ask you, do you see, do you recognize your calling? That God has called you to be part of something. Part of something very special. In second Corinthians chapter excuse me, first Corinthians chapter two, beginning in verse seven, Paul mentions, We speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. In other words, the world does not understand what we're talking about for the most part. Yes, they'll understand bits and pieces. He says we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the leaders, rulers, thinkers of this age knew. Verse 10, it says, but God has revealed these things to us through his spirit. This is why you can't convert your friends and relatives and neighbors. If God is not calling them, it's it's futile to try and convert them. Now, you can set an example for them. You can answer questions that they they may ask. But if God's not calling them, then you can't force this on them. They're not going to understand. Some of you that may have grown up in the church may be asking, "Well, how do I know I'm called? I've grown up in the church. How do I know God is calling me?" First Corinthians chapter seven. Notice a scripture that's there. We touch on this every once in a while. <clears throat> First Corinthians chapter seven, verse fourteen is talking about if one member of the family, a wife or a husband, is converted, is called, and the other person isn't, that the called person. Uh, Excuse me. the person that is not called is actually sanctified by the believer in other words they're set apart they're special in God's sight because they happen to live with a converted person the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband and the husband is sanctified by the wife who happens to be a believer otherwise your children would be unclean but now they're holy your children are special in God's sight they, you, you belong to God in that sense You've been exposed to the truth from birth in many cases. Now the question becomes, what are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with that? And that gets back to the question, why does God call people? And what has he called you to become part of? Now, being raised in the church is not a burden. It shouldn't be. It's an incredible opportunity. It's an incredible opportunity. And hopefully we don't take that for granted. 2nd Timothy chapter 1, verse quickly, 2nd Timothy chapter 1, Paul talks about a calling. 2nd <clears throat> Timothy chapter 1, <clears throat> and verse 9, start in verse 8, says, Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffer as an evildoer, even to the point of chains. But God is not changed. What am I missing here? Okay, I missed on the scripture somehow. But Paul talks about in in one of these scriptures (laughs) that we've been called to a holy calling. A holy calling. A very special calling. And we've been called according to his purpose. So we need to understand that God has a plan. He's got a purpose that he's working out. And he's called us to be part of that plan. You know, he just didn't get up there and well, let's see. That one over there. I like their haircut, you know, and this, that, and the other thing. No, God is not going to call a person that doesn't have the capacity with his help to make it into the kingdom of God. If your mind has been open today, God has been watching you. And God has chosen to work with you. You've been drafted. You've been given an incredible opportunity to be part of the plan that he is working out on this earth. Let's go to Romans chapter 8. It gives us a little insight into what God has called us to become part of. Romans chapter 8. Beginning in verse 14, it says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you do not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out or can cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. We've been called to become the sons of God, the daughters of God, as it mentions in 2 Corinthians 6.18. To become children of God, verse 17, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God. Heirs to what God wants to give us. And joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is coming back to reign on this earth. And we have been made joint heirs, called to become joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Not to sit on a cloud and play harps. But to reign on this earth, indeed, if we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. When God gives you a glorified spiritual body, where you can walk through walls, I'm going to the moon for coffee this afternoon. I'll be back shortly. <laughs> I mean, this is science fiction today. But God has made us going to glorify us to be able to do these things. You know, Christ materialized after his resurrection, appeared to people, and it was gone. That would be exciting. This is what we've been called to become part of. You didn't ask for it, I didn't ask for it. You know, I was going 100 miles an hour in a different direction. But God got my attention, He got your attention. He has ways of doing that. Again, what are you doing with that calling? Are you procrastinating with it, playing games with it? Or have you taken it seriously? Let's summarize quickly. A calling is a spiritual gift. Where God opens your mind and gives you the capacity to understand the Bible, to understand His plan, so that it makes sense to you. The world is not being given that opportunity today. You have been given that opportunity. You have one here, one there, one over there, one over there. These were opportunities we did not ask for, privileges that we did not ask for. The opportunity to participate in the coming kingdom of God and prepare for that. To prepare for an exciting future. This is what a calling is all about. God opens your mind, reaches in, adjusts the dials on your mental TV screen, and things come into focus that you just didn't understand before. That's a gift. That's an incredible opportunity. And if it's happening in your life, you might ask, well, God, why are you doing this for me? What can I do for you? Turn it around. How can I serve you? How can I use the opportunities you've given me? Okay, let's look for the remainder of the sermon at some of these other questions. Why does God call people? Why did God call you? Why did God open your mind to understand the truth? As I mentioned, we can waste a lot of time. I don't know. I'm just not going to do anything until I figure out why God called me. You're going to spin your wheels for a while. Don't worry about it. You take the ball and run with it. (laughs) Once you realize you understand the truth, don't look back. Don't spin your wheels. I don't know why God called me. God will show you in time. It may be into the kingdom of God. You'll find out now I know why everything went wrong in my life. (laughs) Now I know what God was doing with me. Why he let me go through this. Why he let me go through that. See, God has a long-range plan. God has a long-range plan. I remember talking with some young fellows that came out from Ambassador College when I was a graduate student in Mississippi. And they were telling me all about Ambassador College. And I sat there doing a slow burn. I said, you know, I'm mad. Why didn't God call me before I got into this other stuff that I'm into now? And they just looked at me and said, God calls you when He wants to call you. I'd bit off a degree program, and I remember talking with Dr. Hay years ago. And I said, maybe I should just quit school and come out here. And he said, well, if you do, we would recommend you get back into a university out here. And I'm thinking, well, I don't want to do that. He said, we could use your degree down the road. I think that's why God waited till I was already in something before He began working in my life. So I finished that course, and then went out to of College, and those those things were useful. But I didn't understand at the time. I thought, well, why don't, you know, Why am I wasting my time here? Well, I think God had a bigger plan and a bigger perspective than I had at that time. And we need to let God work with us to mold and fashion us for what He wants to use us for. Okay, why does God call people? Why does God call you? Let me give you seven reasons we'll talk about. It. First reason is God has called you to understand Bible prophecy And the plan of God. To understand Bible prophecy and the plan of God. Now, why is that important? You know, when you look at the booklets that people read that gets their attention, that brings them into contact with the church of God, in many times, in many cases, it's books on prophecy. It's books on prophecy. It was the booklet, United States and Britain and Prophecy, that got my attention that focused my mind that you can actually understand where world events are going once you understand the identity of nations in Bible prophecy. I think that booklet, American Britain Prophecy, was the most published, most requested booklet that we had for years. Because it makes sense. Why did America turn out to be a hyper power, protected by oceans on both sides? Why? Because God put the descendants of Joseph here. And he structured things that way. That booklet makes more sense out of world events than anything I've ever read. Because it is a key to understanding Bible prophecy. And it's something that has brought hundreds of people, thousands of people, into contact with the church of God. Bible prophecy is not there to entertain. It's there to attract attention. And it's there to reveal the power of God. What did Moses do to get the attention of the Egyptians? He predicted. (laughs) He prophesied. I'm going to turn the water into blood. Yeah, tell me another one, Moses. What happened the next day or two? The water's turned into blood. Who is this guy? You know, he used to live here in the palace. Where did he get this stuff from? I'm going to cause lice to come up. I'm going to have come frogs to come up, and eventually, even the magicians of Egypt came to what conclusion? I don't want to mess with Moses. This is the finger of God. This is the power of God that we're dealing with. You go back to uh, Isaiah chapter 46. You know, when we come into contact with the Church of God and read the booklets on prophecy that explain prophecy and how prophecies have been fulfilled, we have been brought into contact, not with a grizzly bear like the atheist, but with a real God who makes predictions and then brings those things to pass. How can you have faith in a coming kingdom of God? Unless you believe what's in the book. God said he's going to do it. He's going to bring it to pass. Isaiah 46, verses 8, 9, and 10. Isaiah is dealing with idol- idolaters, with idols, people who didn't believe in God, doubters. Verse 8, he says, Remember this and show yourselves men. Stand up and face the facts. Recall to mind, O you transgressors! Remember the former things of old. For I am God, and there is no one other. Or there's no other. I'm God; there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning, I predict the future. And from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, I make it happen. People are wondering today where this economic crisis is going to go. The Bible talks about a number of places. God is going to bring His people down suddenly. Suddenly. There are several scriptures in Isaiah, several scriptures in Jeremiah, where God is going to bring his people down suddenly. Habakkuk mentions that your creditors will rise up suddenly before you. It's going to rock people back on their, uh, on their seats, in their seats. How dramatically and quickly these things are going to happen latter part of verse 10 saying, My counsel shall stand. I'm going to bring to pass what I have prophesied, what I have predicted. This is the God that we come in contact with when He catches our attention, brings us into contact with His church. God has called us to give us an understanding of who He is, the reality of God. And it's through such things as prophecy and the plan of God. In 2 Peter 1, verses 19 and 20, Peter makes the comment, we have a more sure word of prophecy. Now, we don't understand everything perfectly, but you're not going to hear sermons in other churches like you're going to hear here. Because God has given his church a more sure word of prophecy so they can say certain things. And Mr. Armstrong was saying back in the the 30s and the 40s. Germany is going to come back from the ashes and lead Europe again. People thought he was nuts. How did he know? He understood that Assyria was talking about Germany. And Assyria is going to lead Europe again. That's how he knew. People laughed. People made fun of it. But that's what's happening today. See, God has given us insights he's not given to Billy Graham He's not given to other churches. Now, they may understand bits and pieces, but they don't understand the big picture. There's nothing for us to get vain over. We've been given that understanding so that we can cry aloud and spare not and show the people of Israel their sins and show the world where things are going. And it's going to come to pass. So God has called you to give you an understanding of his plan, of his purpose, of Bible prophecy. Basically, so that you understand who you're dealing with. Who you're dealing with. The God that said, if you bless me, if you obey me, I'm going to bless you. But He also said, if you disobey me, you're going to have to pay the piper. And those bills are coming due. And we'll probably see that over the next several years. So God has called you to give you an understanding. The world has not been given just now. And hopefully we can appreciate that. The second reason why God calls people. He's called you to understand the real purpose of human life. The real purpose of human life. You know, this atheist in England that writes a bunch of books, Peter Dawkins, basically says there is no purpose for human life. You're just a bag of DNA. And you've got to protect that DNA so you can propagate the human race. How exciting! <laughs> How exciting. Now, God has called you to understand that we can become the sons and daughters of God. That Jesus Christ is our elder brother. That we can become like God. John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, it says, We're going to become like Him and see Him as He is. We're going to become joint heirs with Jesus Christ. This is the purpose of human life. Now, if you go back through a number of other scriptures, Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, God said, Let us make man, human beings, in our image. He's given you hands and fingers, and ears and noses, (laughs) and a mind, a brain, that can think, that can understand. That can be creative, that can show compassion, that can ask for forgiveness. He's made us like himself. In Daniel chapter 7:27 says, "The saints are going to rule, they're going to be given the kingdom of God. This is your future. This is why you were created. This is why you've been called to prepare for that future. To reign on this earth with Jesus Christ. And I hope we never take that for granted. This world needs right government. It needs people to be able to say, this is the way. This is the way you need to go. Revelation 5.10 mentions the saints will reign as kings and priests on this earth. As civil and religious leaders on this earth. That's why you've been called to do that. You might say, well, I don't want to do that. (laughs) You didn't ask. God asked you. He's called you. You know, in Isaiah, I believe it is, Isaiah 65, verse 1, Isaiah makes this a prophetic statement. He says, I was found by those who weren't seeking me. In Romans, uh, let's turn to there quickly, Romans uh, 10, I think it is where Paul picks this prophecy out of Isaiah and discusses it with the congregation in Rome. Romans chapter 10, verse 20. But Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me. Now, I just look back on my own life. I was all geared up to teach in medical school, and I was prepared to do that. Finished one year. I came home for what I thought was two weeks vacation, and I was ready to go back and tear into things. And my brother hit me in the face with this booklet, 1975 in Prophecy in American Britain and Prophecy. and it, it totally blew me out of the water. My life was different from then on because I saw things, things made sense. I, I just couldn't go back and do what I was doing. See, when God calls you, you get your attention. He said, no, the direction you need to be going is over here, not over there. See, God intervenes in people's lives that way. He's done that for you. That's why you're here. But Paul says, I I was found by them that weren't looking for me. God was the one that says, you know, like these Marine Corps recruitment posters. I want you. (laughs) Not me. I want you too. Why we need to be positive. God has called us, open our minds, explain the future, and say, "Look, you can be part of it. You can be part of it." He called ancient Israel, what did they say? Not us. We'd like to have a king like they have over there, and we'd like to worship gods like they do over there. And God basically said, "Fine. Go into captivity, think it over. And He's going to do the same thing with our peoples today who think they're religious who think they're pleasing God. You read the first chapter of Isaiah, God says, your holy days stink in my nostrils. Don't worship me the way people are trying to do that, using pagan holidays. It's not going to work. And you're going to pay through the nose for that. It's disgusting to me. You can't do it. So God has called us to understand the real purpose of human life. We've been called to become kings and priests. We've been called to become teachers. Isaiah chapter 30, verses 20 and 21. Isaiah says prophetically, people will see their teachers in the coming kingdom of God. And those teachers will say, this is the way. This is the way to go. You go any other way, it's not going to work. But if you go this way, it will work. Are you preparing to do that? Do you understand the way to go? So point number two is to understand the real purpose for human life. When you understand the real purpose for human life, you're going to have a goal. You're going to have a goal that's going to keep you focused, that's going to motivate you, that's going to keep you excited, give you a reason for living. Why do people take their own lives? Because they see no purpose for human life. They're miserable. So they want to end their misery. This is a ploy of Satan. He wants people to think there's no purpose of human life. You know, I was working with um, a program in graduate school a number of years ago, working with a young lady. that She'd gotten her degree before I did, so she was teaching me. But we were working on a class of preventing alcohol and drug abuse. And I mentioned to her one day, I said, you know, from the reading I've done, it seems like that people that have a purpose in life don't get involved so much with drugs and alcohol and and uh, behaviors that are destructive. Because they have a purpose, they have a mission, they have a reason for being. And she said, well, you, you're, you're probably right. I said, you know, it's a shame we can't say anything of that about those things. I said, this is a biblical concept. She said, well, this is a state school and we can't teach those things. <laughs> I said, in other words, we're trying to solve the problem with both hands tied behind our back. And she didn't like that. <laughs> but she had to admit that was really pretty true. You know, if you can impart to your children, your young people in your family, that, that God has a special purpose for them. I mean, that's what we're reading in First Corinthians chapter 7, verse 14. God has a special purpose for you. And for those that he calls, it's exciting. It's not a burden, it's exciting. It's an incredible privilege to understand the real purpose of life because then you can focus on it and begin working towards it. And it keeps you focused, it keeps you on track. Number three another reason why God calls people is to prepare to rule and to teach to prepare now to rule and teach in the coming kingdom of God. Turn to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1 talks about one of the missions, one of the purposes of the church. I was talking about John the Baptist, talking about what he would do, but there's also a, a prophetic aspect of this looking into the future. It says, He, John the Baptist, will be great in the sight of the Lord, shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He shall also be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord. That's something we're trying to do today also. He will also go before him. He will go before Jesus Christ as a forerunner, preparing the way in the spirit and the power of Elijah. Mr. Armstrong felt that that applied to him and also to the church that he was part of. And I'm sure that it still applies to us today. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, reconciling families, helping people build bonds within the family, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Part of our job is to prepare a group of people to be useful in God's hands, to reign with Jesus Christ when he returns. You know, Christ is not going to go back to the earth and say, th- nah, I, I forgot to get anybody ready. We were so busy preaching a warning message that we, we, we didn't have anybody ready. Now we've got to put things on hold for a couple of years. Don't we get a staff prepared and ready? No, we're being prepared now. You know, why do we have sermons that go two hours instead of 15 minutes? You know, These are learning experiences, educational experiences. We don't have a lot of rituals and a bunch of stuff and you know, waving incense and so on. These are teaching experiences. It was interesting to walk through some of the Waldensian churches in northern Italy and compare those to the Catholic cathedrals that you walk through over there in Italy and Germany and France and other places. You walk into these Catholic cathedrals with huge altars and candle lights and you know, it's overpowering to the senses. You walk into the Waldensian churches and there's a podium. There's a podium. Because they were preaching services. They were preaching services. Where they educated people. They didn't entertain them and awe them. They educated them. This is how God's church has worked down through the years. We've been called to prepare a group of people. That's why we have sermons. That's why we have Bible studies. That's why we have a Bible study course where people can study at home, to become teachers and educators. That's why we have the Living uh, Leadership class, is to prepare a people to be able to lead, to understand the lessons of leadership, to understand what it's all about. That's why we have advanced leadership training programs. to prepare people to lead and guide. That's why we started Living University, to provide educational materials and educational experiences And Mr. Armstrong started three colleges. Why? To have an educated ministry, to have an educated group of people that could be part of the work. You know, the Puritans, when they came to this country, they were in this country about three or four or five years and they started Harvard University to provide an educated ministry for their churches. And the graduates of Harvard were called the sons of the prophets that take off on 1 Samuel, where Samuel had started schools for prophets. God has worked with people down through the ages to prepare them, to educate them, so that they could serve Him and serve in the work of God. A couple of scriptures very quickly. Second 2 Timothy two fifteen, it says, study to show yourselves approved unto God, to be able to rightly divide the word of truth. Newer translations say, be diligent. Be diligent to study the Word of God so that you can explain it. It you know, what was interesting about these Waldensian ministries that were trained up in the Alps, you know, they could get into discussions with Catholic priests and tie the priests in knots. Because the priests didn't know the Bible, but these men had memorized the scriptures and had been trained for several years to be able to do that. And they converted thousands of people through Italy, southern France, up into Germany. Had an impact at that time. It's going to be interesting to see the impact that we may have in the years just ahead if we take seriously studying the Word of God so that we can explain it and be able to say this is the way, and we've got to be careful. We don't get so involved with our jobs and, and various responsibilities that we don't take the time to study the Scriptures. These are things we've got to do. It involves setting priorities. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. We're told to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. To grow in that knowledge. Well, I've been in church 20 years and not they can't teach me anything I don't know. No, we better be growing. You know, we better be learning. Now, I've enjoyed doing the Old Testament survey class that I'm doing this semester because I'm learning things. <laughs> I'm putting things together in a way they haven't done before. And it's exciting as we grow. Preparing to teach and preparing to rule. We've been called to prepare now. I've talked to some people who said, you know, I don't bother studying too much because when Christ returns, I'm going to have a spirit being, and I'm going to have a spirit body, and have a new brain, and my brain's going to work better. I'll worry about it then. God's going to give me all this understanding. That's a pipe dream. That's a pipe dream. If we're not learning and growing now, where God sees that we're willing to focus and put in the effort, why would He invest in us in the future? It's kind of like the voice said to the atheist. You've denied me most of your life and you expect me to save you now? Give you a new body? We haven't talked much? You haven't put your nose in the Bible? We need to make some connections here. We've been called, we've been drafted to be part of a work. We don't want to waste time or take that lightly. Okay, number four... We've been called to develop a relationship with Jesus Christ and with God the Father. A personal relationship. I think it's sad that people have had to leave the Church of God and then they said, you know, I never had a relationship with God, never had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, even though I kept the Sabbath, kept the Holy Days, kept the Passover. I think that's unfortunate. I think that's unfortunate. Being a Christian involves more than just coming to church on the Sabbath. It involves more than just keeping holy days. It does involve developing a personal relationship with God and with Jesus Christ. Notice in Matthew chapter 7. Notice in Matthew chapter 7. Part of the Sermon on the Mount Jesus mentions beginning in verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, not everybody that prays shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, that is when Christ returns, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, preached in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonderful things? Then I will declare unto them, I never knew you. We never really connected We seldom talked. You seldom gave me the opportunity to work with your mind as you meditated on the scriptures. You just never did. You were watching TV. You were doing other things. We never made a personal connection. We need to be able to talk with God about what our concerns are and take time to do that. David mentions, mentions in the Psalms, he prayed morning, noon, and evening. David, excuse me. Daniel prayed morning, noon, and evening under threat of being imprisoned. We know where Daniel is right now. He's there every day. Go open his door, break it in. You'll find out he's worshiping his God. He's not doing what you, king, told him to do. We have got to have that connection with God, with Jesus Christ. In First John three, it mentions we're going to become like Him. How do you become like God? How do you become like Jesus Christ? By talking with God. By praying to him on a regular basis. Let's notice in John 14 quickly. <clears throat> John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17 is what Christ talked about with his disciples the night before He's crucified. And he's talking about important things. Things we need to understand. In John 14, 15, Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commandments. In other words, obey my instructions. You know, keep the Sabbath, keep the holy days, but talk with me regularly. You know, connect with me. Do what I've asked you to do. In John 15, <clears throat> starting verse 10, said, If you keep my commandments, we, my Father and I, excuse me, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Verse 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this or no one than this than to lay down his life for his friends. You know, if God has called you to be part of his work, you're going to lay down part of your life. Part of your life. To preach the gospel, to do the work of God, to serve others. And sometimes it'll come out of your hide. Sometimes it will. But God sees what our priorities are. He says, greater love has no no man than this, or no one than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you to do. We can become friends of God as Abraham was. If we follow his instructions, we stay focused on the goal. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I've heard from my Father, I've made known to you. Jesus Christ, through the Scriptures, has made known to us the plan of God. What God is doing on this earth, what the purpose of life is, and how we can participate in his coming kingdom of God. These are the things that are available to us if we let God work with us, Philippians 2.5 says, let this mind be in you that was in Jesus Christ. And to ask yourself, would Christ do it this way? Would he say it that way? Is this what God wants me to do? Should I do it differently? If we begin thinking that way, we're going to begin to develop the mind of Jesus Christ. Galatians 2.20 says, let Jesus Christ live his life over within you. And if that becomes our goal, I want to do things God's way. I want to do things the way Jesus Christ would do it. We're going to be developing a relationship with God and with Jesus Christ. Okay, we've got a couple more things to cover. Reason number five, why does God call you? Why did God call you? Why is God calling you? Number five is to be a light and an example to the world. Not a mouth, (laughs) but a light and an example. Matthew five thirteen through 16, to be a light. You know, in Deuteronomy 4, God called the Israelites to be a light. They weren't. They didn't do what God asked them to do, and they, they, they paid the Bible. There were consequences for that. God is looking for us to bear fruit. John 15, verses 1 through 8. So this is pleasing to God that you bear much fruit. What kind of fruit is he talking about? What kind of fruit doesn't he want? Read Galatians 5. The fruits he's looking for in our lives is love, an unselfish, outgoing concern, peace, being at peace with yourself, learning how to be at peace with others. And sometimes uh, you know, we walk into a room and everybody heads for cover (laughs) because we let go. Like a machine gun, verbal machine gun. (laughs) Solves problems. But you can't work with dead people. <laughs> you know, we're peacemakers. We've been called to become peacemakers, to understand the way to peace. These are the fruits that God is looking for. But you know, if we lie, if we shade the truth, if we don't do what we should be doing, if we're playing with pornography or whatever else, we're kidding ourselves. We're kidding ourselves. If we come and sit in church and do these things other places we're playing games with God and that becomes very dangerous. We've been called to be lights and examples to the world. You know, you can't bear the fruits of the Spirit, the love, joy, peace, patience, and so on, if you don't have God's Spirit. You can't bear the fruits of the Spirit if you don't have God's Spirit. You have to receive God's Spirit. That was one of the things I learned early on. You know, I was an adult, but I realized I needed to be baptized. As an adult, not as a child, I needed to repent and be baptized and make a commitment. You know, you can sit in church and hope to be in the kingdom of God, but if you've never made a commitment, you're not going to be there. If you want to buy a car, you can get down to a showroom. You can sit in it, open the doors, shut the doors, roll the windows up and down, smell it, take it for a test drive. But it ain't yours until you sign on a dotted line. And make a commitment, you don't waste the opportunity that God has given you. Don't play games. We've been called to be a light to the world. Number six: God has called you to be part of His work at the end of an age. Now think about that: He's called you to become part of a work at the end of the age. In Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22, Jesus called his disciples. He said, you guys are fishermen. I will make you fishers of men. I will make you fishers of men. To begin to reach out to people, explaining the truth of God, explaining the exciting possibilities for human life. It's part of our challenge to learn how to do that, to do that effectively. Matthew 10, verses 6 through 8. Jesus commissioned his disciples. He said, you go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. You can't do that if you don't know where they are. Which gets back to the importance of understanding Bible prophecy and the identity of various nations in prophecy. Matthew 24 says, we're to warn the world of what is coming and the significance of what's happening today. We've broken the laws of God. We have forgotten God. We're legalizing same-sex marriages. We're doing things that God says is an abomination, and we can't understand what's happening to our country. Why are we going broke all of a sudden? Why is the weather going crazy? Because we turned our back on God. And part of our job is to explain the connection, to connect the dots. There are reasons this is happening, because this has happened over here. And we've been called to do that. It's a small group of people. We've got a big job. Jesus was a mission-oriented person. Go back and read John chapter 4, verses 31 through 36. His disciples said, Jesus, you've been working hard. Take a break. Let's go to McDonald's. Let's cool it. Let's have a beer. He said, my meat, my meat, my focus is to do the will of God and finish the work that I've been given to do. Are you a mission-oriented person? I think most of you here in Charlotte are. or You wouldn't be here. (laughs) Because it ain't easy all the time. But God has called us to fulfill a role, to fulfill a mission. And you can read in Revelation chapter 3, verse 10, the promise. Let's just look at that. We've got time. Revelation chapter 3, God makes a promise to the Philadelphia era of his church. And there are eras of God's church that will go through, in spite of what some silly people think, seem to think today. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 10 it says, Because you have kept the command to persevere, you continued doing the work. I will also keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world. That's the tribulation. To test those who dwell on the earth. God promises protection to His church that is focused on finishing the work that they've been given to do. Number seven. Final reason, why does God call you? He calls you to protect yourself from deception and discouragement. You've got to put up your defenses. You've got to be able to protect yourself and ask God to help protect you. Because there's going to be plenty of people taking shots at the work of God and throwing dirt at people. And Matthew 24 says, Many will come in my name and deceive many. They'll be pulled off in this direction, pulled off in that direction. I think it's really sad in the job that I have. I see people who have been in church 20, 30, 40 years in some cases get caught up after this person over there, caught up after this little group over there, and they go off, off on tangents. They come up with their own ideas after serving and sacrificing for 20 or 30 or 40 years. They're blown off course by crazy things in some cases. You know, any village idiot can get on the, the internet and create a website. The interesting thing is local people recognize them as an idiot. But on the internet, half a world away, wow, look at this. And they don't understand where it's coming from. Somebody's garage, somebody's little study or whatever. Local people have nothing to do with them. But halfway around the world, wow, this is new truth. No, it's really sad. It really is. Second you know, Corinthians 11 talks about Satan will have his ministers preaching a different gospel about a different Jesus and motivated by a different spirit. And we're told be very, very careful of these things because it's coming. First Peter chapter 5. Peter warns, he said, You better keep your eyes open. Satan is like a roaring lion. We've talked about lions today <laughs> in the sermonette and in the sermon. Roaring lions that want to devour people. But we've got to be able to recognize what a lion looks like. And some people running around in sheep's clothing say that they're not a lion, but they are, and they're wolves. But we're told, recognize, resist. You hear people spreading lies and rumors, throwing dirt. They're trying to get your mind in the wrong direction, off of the big picture. You you have been called to be part of a work that's publishing over or towards 500,000 magazines a month. You don't do that in your living room. It takes a team to do that. We've got over 125,000 people hitting our website every, every month. 125,000. And almost a million people see our ads on the Internet every month. This is what you're part of. And a television program is just reaching thousands of people. In Atlanta, <laughs> last two weeks, we had almost more people come to the lecture as guests than we have in a congregation over there. This is where we need to focus on not only this dirt that people throw around, just realize it's going to be there. It comes with territory. <laughs> We've got to be focused on the big picture, focused on real things. Second Peter chapter two: Peter talks about false prophets. There were false prophets. there will be false teachers among you who malign the truth, who make fun of the truth, who throw it out the window. Brethren, we talked about in the sermon today what a calling is. Think about it. A calling is a special opportunity that God is giving to a few people now to understand the truth so they can begin to prepare for the coming kingdom of God, that they can have a focus and a mission in their life, to understand the purpose of life, to prepare to teach and rule. Get back over these things. This is what a calling is all about. I want to end with one final question since we've talked about what a calling is and why God calls people my final question to you and it is personal what are you doing with the calling that God has given you what are you doing with the calling that God has given you you know in Luke chapter 12 verse 48 I used to beat my boys over the head with the scripture. It says, To whom much is given, much will be required. To whom much is given, much will be required. You have been called and given an understanding of the truth of God. That as Jesus told his disciples, the world doesn't understand what you have been given to understand. God's going to expect a payback for that. He's given you something very valuable. And you can go through the parables of the talents in uh, Matthew 25 and also in Luke 19. You know, some are given five, some are given ten, some are given one. The people that bear fruit, that double those, those talents, are given a reward. The ones that bury the talents, don't use them, take them for granted, will lose them. And it's not a threat. It's just something we need to learn from. We're also told in Matthew uh, 22, verse 14, it says, Many are called, but few are chosen. Many are called, but few are chosen. It sounds like a contradiction in terms. But you think about it. You know, if you go back through the old yearbooks from Ambassador to College, go through those yearbooks with a pen and draw lines for the people that are no longer around And you wind up with about 50% or more off a page People that didn't stay the course They were there, they sat in services They were sat in classes, in some cases taught classes And gave sermons They're gone Because they didn't stay the course Many are called, but few are chosen There's a parallel scripture in Revelation 17 verse 14 it says the saints that come back with Jesus Christ Are called, they're chosen, and they're faithful. They've been called, and I think they've been chosen because they are faithful. They've stayed the course, they've borne fruit, they've multiplied what God gave them. What are you doing with the calling that God has given you? Look into the mirror when you go home, when you get up tomorrow. Look into the mirror and ask the question, have I been called? And answer that question. How do I know that I've been called? Because you understand the truth. The plan of God makes sense. Take advantage of that opportunity. God has given you the ball. Like the quarterback in a football game. You got the ball, run with it. I would encourage you to run with it. Don't let anyone take your crown. Bear fruit with the truth that God has given you. Value your calling so that you can be ready when Jesus Christ returns to receive the crown that he wants to give you because he's called you for that very reason. Think about it.